As we continue in our study of the letter to the Ephesians, we come today to the put-off, put-on principle applied to anger. It's funny sometimes what comes to a person's mind. Do you remember that old TV show, The Incredible Hulk? David Banner, whenever he got angry, would turn into The Incredible Hulk, this green skin manifestation of the power of anger, played ever so convincingly by the bodybuilder Lou Ferrigno. Do you remember that famous line from the opening credits? Well, in case you don't, perhaps this video clip will help jog your memory. Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. by an investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead. And he must let the world think that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. Now that was good television. Wink, wink. You gotta hate it when you accidentally get too much gamma radiation. Don't you think in the whole history of television, no one had as bad hair as the Incredible Hulk? Well, what was that famous line from the opening credits. Do you remember that line there? It said, Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Have you ever been around someone where you felt that way? Unfortunately, way too many of us have. They had such a short fuse that they blew up into over-the-top anger over the smallest things. When we think of anger, we often think of this type of anger. So the small percentage of people that have this type of anger, they have an anger problem. But since I don't get angry like that, since I don't turn into the Incredible Hulk when I get angry, I don't have an anger problem. Oh, sometimes we explode with anger, but nothing really bad. I'm better than most. I don't really have an anger problem. As a matter of fact, as long as everyone is doing exactly what we want, when we want it, and how we want it, we hardly ever get angry at all. But is anger only blow-up anger? Is anger only explosive? Or could it be smoldering and slow-burning? Could it manifest itself in criticism and cynicism? Could it be in our everyday lives of irritation? Could it also be in those little moments of our lives? Does it happen in the car when someone doesn't make the turn and you have to sit through another light? Does it happen at home when your child forgets again for the umpteenth time to pick up after themselves? Does it happen at work when your boss stops in to check in on you and points out an area to improve while ignoring all the good hard work and sacrifice that you've done? Does it happen with your spouse when it seems like they've taken you for granted? 
Does it happen when our slow burn of anger becomes resentment and bitterness? What does anger look like? It has many forms and many variations and in varying intensities. Today's message is not for those that just have incredible Hulk-like anger. Today's message is for you and the way you express the anger in your life. Yes, the reality is that each one of us, everyone in this room this morning, has a struggle with anger. The reason anger is such a significant topic is that it lives within us. From the mundane, everyday disappointments to the blow-up, over-the-top rage. And with every hue in between, anger lives within us. Anger is real for each one of us. If you think that you don't have a problem with anger because you never explode in anger in some dramatic way, then you need to think again. The problem is that we all live with anger, just as we all live with love or fear or worry. We live with anger because we are human, with God-given emotions that have been corrupted by sin. We each live with anger, our anger, with our way of showing it. At the end of that video clip, the narrator says that David Banner will have to keep his true identity hidden until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. Well, today, I pray that we will do the exact opposite of that. We will let our true identity, our real self out, and interact with the Holy Spirit, allowing him to comfort, challenge, and change us. So that through him, we will be able to find his way to control our anger that dwells within us. Well, please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 32, and follow along as I read. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. For the thief, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that they may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Well, first let's look at what anger is. After all that I just talked about, verse 26 is a rather startling statement. It's actually a command, an imperative to be angry. The first principle we take from this is a general truth. Emotions in and of themselves are not sinful. Feeling angry is not sinful. Feeling worry or feeling fear, feeling love, feeling heartache, feeling lonely, feeling joy, feeling sadness. None of those feelings are sinful. Not a one. God created us to have emotions, to feel feelings. Not only are they not sinful, but they are God-given. They are actually good and helpful. Are emotions wrong in and of themselves? Well, of course not. God gave us our emotion. He desires us to use them for good, for the good of others, and to glorify himself. 
The textbook definition of emotions is a mental state that arises spontaneously rather than through conscious effort and is often accompanied by physiological changes. Emotions are involuntary, spontaneous responses. Since our emotions and feelings are involuntary responses, we cannot directly control our emotions and feelings. We cannot turn our feelings on and off. They just happen. We can, however, influence our emotions. Since emotions are a mental state, they're a result of our thinking. By controlling our thinking, we can achieve some influence over our emotions and feelings. Emotions are fed by thinking. And by changing our thinking, we can redirect inappropriate emotions. This is obvious to us. Because, you know, if we want to feel romantic, we turn on soft music and have a candlelight dinner. If we want to feel fear, we pay a whole bunch of money and go to Cedar Point so that we can ride a roller coaster or we watch a suspenseful movie. If we want to feel sad, we could watch the evening news. If we want to feel encouraged, we call our best friend. We could go on and on and on. We regularly put ourselves into situations that help bring about a feeling that we desire. We can just as easily not put ourselves into situations that would help us not bring about feelings that we don't want, feelings that hurt us and hurt others. The feeling of an emotion is an involuntary or spontaneous response. But the expressing, the living out, the conveying of that emotion is something we can certainly influence and even control. Star Trek fans know Spock. He is half human and half Vulcan. Remember the pointy ears and the live long and prosper? He is most well known for not having feelings. But that's not really true. He has all the feelings. He experiences deep emotions. He can't control having feelings. But what he has learned to completely control is the expression of those feelings. In kind of a sad, sometimes even lifeless or robotic expression. But that's not what God wants from us. God gave us emotions. He wants us to experience them. That doesn't mean we get to just fully vent all of our emotions. But in God's plan, he wants us to be alive and vibrant and colorful. Well, the second principle we take from be angry and sin not is that not all anger is sinful anger. God is shown as displaying anger throughout the Bible. Psalm 7:11 says God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. God's anger and his wrath are a real part of who he is. Anger at sin, at the presence and power and effect of sin is appropriate. God is angry at sin. And so should we. Jesus is said to be angry. Listen to this passage from Mark chapter 3. It says again, Jesus entered the synagogue and a man was there. With a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to him, is, To them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. 
And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisee went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. Jesus asked the Pharisees a simple question with an obvious answer. Would they answer truthfully? Would they give the answer that everyone present knew was right? Would they care more about others than they do about their own made-up rules? No. They were silent. They knew what the right answer was, and yet they refused to say it. They knew what God wanted them to do, and they refused to admit it. They would rather let the man stay a cripple than change their false teaching. And that made Jesus angry. He was angry at their refusal to do what was so obviously the right thing to do, the godly thing to do, even the biblical thing to do. Jesus was grieved at the hardness of their heart toward God, toward God's word, and towards God's people. It was right and godly for Jesus to be angry. A good definition of anger is that anger is a God-given emotion that produces energy intended to help us respond biblically. So often we justify anger as a negative, like anger is an emotional response to not getting what we want. Or as Webster puts it, anger is a strong feeling of displeasure and usually of antagonism. Those are good definitions of anger, but they're only part of the reality of anger. Anger is first and foremost an emotion of energy. It is an emotion that can spring from many different roots. Anger can come from a good place within us and express itself in godly, appropriate ways. But just like most of the definitions of anger don't even allude to that possibility, so it is with the reality within us. Rarely does anger flow from our new self and manifest itself in biblically appropriate ways. But by far the vast majority of our anger flows from our old self and expresses itself in hurtful, destructive, and even cruel ways. That's why James in 1, 19-21 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to become angry, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our anger does not produce the righteousness of God, but rather usually the exact opposite. Our anger produces the judgment of God. It produces wrong, not righteousness. It produces harm, not healing. It produces discouragement, not hope. It produces distance, not closeness. So when does anger become sinful? Anger becomes sinful when it's motivated by our selfishness. James 4, 1 through 3 so powerfully says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have. Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What a great question, James asks. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? 
And then James answers that question with another question. Is it not this? Isn't it the people you live with? You know, when we get angry, isn't that what we most often say? The stupid lady with all the coupons at the checkout counter made me angry. That crazy driver over there made me angry. My wife made me angry. My boss, my children made me angry. Listen closely, folks. None of that is true. Nobody in our lives makes us angry. We talk about getting angry that way. It even seems to make sense. It just seems like the cause of anger was somebody or something else. But we can't pass the buck. We can't shift the blame of our responsibility for our anger to anyone else, to anything else. The Bible won't let us. It says that we become angry because of the passions that are at war within us. Anger is not some outside force that grabs us. Anger is in us. Anger comes out of us. We desire and we do not get what we want, so we act out. We covet and yet don't obtain, so we get angry. We seek our pleasure, and when it doesn't happen, we lash out. When we get angry, we tend to look the wrong way. We look at someone else like it was their fault. If you ever want to understand your anger, you have to look at you. You have to look inside of you. You have to look at your heart. Galatians 5, 19-20 says the works of the flesh are evident. And included in that long list is fits of anger. Sinful anger comes from our flesh. It comes from our old self. Anger is not caused by what is outside of us. The occasion of anger may arise because of something happening to us. But the color and the expression and the intensity and the nature of your anger is always controlled by what's going on inside of you. What comes out of us was already inside of us. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, one's mouth speaks. We tend to express our anger in two main ways. We blow up. When we blow up, we freely express our anger. When we feel angry, we just instantly let it out. We don't take time to question the consequences. We don't take time to evaluate the effect of our angry response. The focus of our anger is solely on expressing the way we feel regardless of anyone else. We feel angry and we have the right to express it. Proverbs fourteen seventeen says, A man of quick temper acts foolishly. Proverbs 19, 19 says, A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Proverbs 15, 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. When our anger is stirred, there are no soft words coming out of our mouths, only harsh words. That's a characteristic of blow-up anger. Another way we express our anger is to clam up. We hold it inside. We have the same feelings, even the same intensity of feelings, but we hold them in. This person seems like they're great at not expressing their anger. There are no blow-ups. Maybe a few flare-ups now and then, but nothing major. But this person's anger still comes out. 
It manifests itself in gossip and backbiting. It rears its ugly head in a silent treatment and coldness. It breaks through in resentment and passive-aggressive actions. Like old milk, it turns the sour soul sore, resulting in bitterness. Proverbs 18, Proverbs 15, 12 warns us to beware that a root of bitterness not spring up in our lives and contaminate our lives and those around us. Well, it's nine o'clock and you just put your kids to bed. Finally, it's your time. Finally, it's your time to unwind, time to relax, time that you have earned because of your hard day of work, time that is your right because of all the ways that you have served others that day. But your two boys start talking in their room. Soon their conversation turns into loud laughing and then an argument. And you have had enough. You can't believe it. The kids know that they're supposed to get, go to bed. Why are they awake? So you march down to the room thinking the whole way there that they're going to get it. The kids hear you coming and instantly get quiet. You barge into their room. Don't you know that all that I have done today, don't you know what my day is like? Is this the thanks that I get? I don't ask for much. I just need children who care. I buy your clothes. I work all day for you. And you can't give me some peace and quiet? Well, of course, the kids are thinking, boy, this conversation is so very helpful. I didn't realize all the stress that my parents are under. I'm going to redouble my efforts to be helpful. I'm so glad they came into my room and talked with me. No, see, the parent never talks to the kid's heart. But instead, an anger is is demanding and hurtful. The kids are not reflecting on their disobedience. They're just afraid and hurt. That parent isn't angry because the kids simply didn't go quietly to sleep. They shouldn't have been talking and they were disobedient, but the parent did not come into that room to deal with the heart of their children. They came into that room angry because the child had taken something from them. They had earned some peace and quiet. They deserved some time to themselves with no interruptions. And now the kids were stepping on what they craved. The kids were disrupting their desires. And the parents have the attitude, how dare you do this to me? One commentator said, of all of us, we are sinfully angry again and again. Not because people have broken God's law, but because people have broken our law and we don't like it. As James said, we have a war going on within us. Our desires for what we want and God's desires are at war within us. The struggle with anger is really a struggle of who will be the sovereign of our lives. Will God be your king or are you the king of your life? I want to rule my world, and if I don't get what I want, the way I want it, I am going to get angry. Your anger is a battle between two kingdoms, God's kingdom or your kingdom. Well, who is the ruler of your life? 
Well, let's take a look at how we can deal with the anger in our hearts. The first step to any road to recovery is to recognize our anger. We have to see it before we can deal with it. We have to see it coming from our hearts, coming from within us. We have to take responsibility for our actions. No matter what the situation, no matter what the environment, no matter what the triggers are, we have to come to grips with the fact that our anger comes from within us. Once we own it and fully admit it to ourselves, then we need to confess and repent. Proverbs 18:13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You need to confess to God and ask for repentance. You need to confess to those you have heard and ask for forgiveness to fully restore your relationship with him. You know, it might not make total sense, but you need to see God in the midst of your trial. God in his sovereignty is using your emotion of anger in your situation to help you, to drive you to him, to conform you to Christ, and maybe even to help those around you. Listen to these powerful words from Joseph to his brothers from Genesis 50. We know Joseph. Remember the story how his brothers dug a pit, threw him in. We're even going to kill him but instead sold him into slavery to Potiphar's house in Egypt. Well, now we come to the end of that story. And their brother said to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sins, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God, of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. We have to see God's plan in the midst of our problems and turn to him for help. Perhaps your situation is such that your anger is with someone or something that you just won't be able to resolve. Perhaps the situation is is long past or the person that you're still angry with has passed away. Instead of holding on to your anger, you need to give it to God. Joseph had long forgiven his brothers, even before they were reconciled. Because he had dealt with his anger with God. He knew that it was God's responsibility to deal with his brothers. He was not in the place of God. He gave his anger to God and he let God take care of the consequences. This brought him healing. So when all those years later, through the amazing sovereign plan of God, when Joseph and his brothers were reunited, he was prepared to offer real forgiveness. It says he comforted them. And spoke kindly to them. If you are struggling with anger, give it to God. Let him deal with the other person and let him bring you healing and wholeness. Another step in dealing with our anger is to act to solve our part of the problem. Be proactive. Romans twelve eighteen says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You can't do everything. But you can do your part. 
As far as it depends on you, do whatever is possible to deal with the anger and bring peace to your relationship. So much more healing would get done in our lives and in our relationships if we would just take the initiative and do our part. Don't wait to resolve your anger. Be obedient to Ephesians 4.26 and be proactive. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Another step we can do is to return good for evil, to return hope for hurts, to return healing for damage, to return love for anger. Ephesians 4.31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Verse 31 is essentially saying, put off all forms of anger, from blowing up to bitterness, from rage to clamming up, and anything in between. Put off all anger and all of its manifestations, and instead put on these three things, kindness. Romans says it's that God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God is kind to us in our sin. God is kind to us when we make him justly angry. So we can, through him, in our new self, put on kindness to replace our anger. Tenderheartedness. Anger makes us hard. Hard on the outside and hard on the inside. We need to replace that hardness with softness. We need to replace our hard, selfish hearts with God's tender, compassionate heart and let God rule our lives. Forgiveness. This is the greatest calling in dealing with our anger because we live with God as the great forgiver of our lives. So we must in turn be like him and forgive. First Peter 4.8 is one of the great biblical principles that has really helped me. It says, above all, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes issues never get resolved as completely as we would like them to be. It is in those moments when we love. It is in those moments when we love with the love of Christ in our lives. We love and we just step over the offense. We let the love cover it. Another very biblical, practical step is to be slow in our anger. The energy of anger often pressures us to explode like a geyser. We need to learn the discipline of holding our tongue until we can respond biblically. Listen to this amazing proverb. Proverb fifteen twenty-eight. it says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. James says we're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Get the accountability you need. Take whatever steps are necessary to stay on top of your anger rather than your anger getting the best end of you. Another great way to subdue your anger ties back to last week's message, focusing on biblical 
communication. Speak the truth in love. Keep current. Attack problems, not people. Act. Don't react. Accept. Don't accuse. Listen. Beloved, God has equipped us through His Spirit and through His Word to put off anger and to put on kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness, and love. Well, there was a report that a major retail corporation put mirrors behind their customer service representatives so irate customers could see their own behavior. Their anger levels subsided and they negotiated their complaints more graciously when they could see what they looked like in the mirror. Well, folks, this morning, look at yourself in the mirror. Look at yourself in the mirror of God's Word. Look at yourself in the mirror of the Holy Spirit and allow Him to comfort and to challenge and to change you. Let's commit to living out of our new self, the new life, as new creatures, which is made in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, on this day, at this time, we pray, saying to you that we want to live out of our new self. We don't want to live out of that old self. We don't want to have that anger come out of us in all those destructive ways, hurting those people that we love. Lord, help us to put off anger, to put on kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness in the new self through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.